We are in a series through the Gospel of Mark called Eyewitness News. And today I want to talk to you about planting. Uh, Ruth and I came here almost four years ago, and Ruth's a gardener. She likes to get in there and get dirt under her fingernails. She's a farm girl from California, and, and, I, and I mow the lawn, but she can do the other stuff and lovely flowers and roses and lilacs and all that kind of stuff. But the thing we heard when we first came here to Colorado was don't plant till after Mother's Day because it could freeze it or do whatever. So it's after Mother's Day, so we're going to talk about planting, all right? In Jesus' day, he talked to people who knew about planting. He came to an agrarian society. There were a few cities, but mostly it was little farmers eking out a living. So when he talked about planting, they got that picture. He could be telling a parable like he does today and says, now look, this is what it looks like. Or he was talking to fishermen or he was talking to shepherds. This territory here in Fort Collins area back in the day, it still is, a ranching and farming arena. A hundred years ago, I think it was sugar beets and sheep were a big deal here. But Jesus came into this agrarian culture that was dominated by a kingdom called Rome. So the people who were listening to him understood about planting and they understood about oppression by a kingdom. Jesus' mission was to come and explain to them a very different kingdom. Over three years, he explains to them about this very different kingdom that doesn't look anything like Rome. Rome had what they called Pax Robana, Pax Romana. Two guys fighting on a street corner, Roman soldiers come up, spear them both, no problem. End of argument, peace is, is restored. That's it. But this kingdom that Jesus is talking about is a very different kingdom. Now, the book of Mark is like the, uh, the pocket book or the paperback edition for Roman soldiers of the story of Jesus. John, when he starts talking about Jesus in John 1 and his gospel, there are four gospels for those of you who aren't too familiar with it, four gospels, four writings about the life of Jesus. John goes all the way back and says, in the beginning was the word. He goes back to the foundation of the world. Matthew and Luke, they start with Jesus' birth at Bethlehem. Mark, he starts where Jesus comes to explain this kingdom at the start of his earthly ministry. And in Mark 1, 14 and 15, this is how it reads. I'd like you to read it. It'll be on the screen. I'd like you to read it with me out loud, if you would. Listen to how it reads and participate with me. Just speak it right out. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent just means turn around. He says, hey, over here, got a whole new kingdom to explain to you. Turn around and trust me in this. Well, they turned around. These are people who have been looking for the kingdom they used to be back a thousand years before they had this king named David, and it was the best time in Israel's history. I mean, it was the, they had larger borders. They had more stuff going on. He was a decent king. He had some real glitches, but you know, compared to the other kings, he was a good guy. And so they've waited a thousand years for the kingdom to come back, and they want it like most kingdoms look. Most kingdoms look like marching armies and brass bands, and they got uh, hierarchies, and they got all this stuff. And they turn around, and here's like a 30-year-old guy who's a carpenter from a little podunk town up in the hills, and they're saying, whoa, whoa, what kind of kingdom this? So he spends the next three years trying to explain 
what kind of kingdom this was because it's not anything like what they were expecting. He uses parables and stories. Parables are like um, pictures that say this is what it's like. So he doesn't say the kingdom is. He says, what can I, what can I say the kingdom is like? It's like? And he uses all kinds of pictures to try to explain this, this deep and different and countercultural and counterintuitive kingdom. It's so totally different than any other kind of kingdom that they have any sense for. And he uses all these pictures to try to explain it. Dorothy Sayers, British mystery writer, puts it this way in, in sort of illustrating this, this problem. The kingdom of heaven said the Lord Christ is among you. But what precisely is the kingdom of heaven? You cannot point to existing specimens saying, look here, look there. You can only experience it. But what is it like? Well, it's a change, like being born again or relearning everything from the start. It grows like seed, but it's precious like buried treasure. It's new, yet in a sense it was always there. It makes demands. It's like an invitation to a royal banquet, gratifying but not to be disregarded. Where it's equal, it seems unjust, and where it's just, it's clearly not equal. It's before the foundation of the world. It is to come. It is here and now. It's within you. And then she concludes by saying it is recorded that the multitude sometimes failed to understand. Well, I guess so. Like, what is it? Is it buried treasure? Is it seed? Or is it like, is it here now? Or was it then? Or is it coming? Or what's the deal? That being said, let's read two stories very quickly, and I'll just read them to you. In Mark, the fourth chapter, where Jesus is trying to describe to them, help them understand this very different kingdom. Mark, 24, Mark 4, 26. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. There's that picture. A man scatters seed on the ground... Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Then the second one. Again, he said, what should we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable should we use to describe it? Well, it's like a, a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. Some of you are thinking, you know, I, I know mustard. I see fields of it. It's not huge. It, but they have some in the Middle East. It's like big. It grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So here we are, four simple points. They go like this. Number one, the kingdom of God is mostly invisible. The kingdom of God is mostly invisible. You say, well, how can something be real if it's invisible? Because we've been trained in the scientific method, right? If you can't measure it, if you can't quantify it, if you can't put it in a, in a little test tube or measure it, then it... That's what's real, really. Well, how about air? How about that stuff that we're sucking in like there's no tomorrow, right now? We're just, you know, like that. Can't see that. That's very real. Keeps us alive. How about electricity? We flip the switch, and I don't know how electricity works. 
Yeah, I have electrician friends, and they're talking to me about ohms and amperes and wattage. And I, I don't, but I flip on the lights, and bang, it's there. What about light? You say, well, I can see light. Well, on the, on the spectrum, you see this much light. Your eyes can see like the rainbow stuff. But there are all kinds of light rays that are very different. You've heard me talk about this before. You go up on this end and you've got gamma rays. They do brain surgery on you with gamma, gamma knife up here. And over here you've got x-rays and you've got shortwave radio and you've got TV. So you've got, you know, so you've got brain surgery here and you've got Oprah over here. But it's all light, okay? It's all light. But you can't see that light. How about the things that you can't see that hurt you? World War I, the war to end all wars, 1914, 1918, 20 or 8 million people died in World War I. But in 1917, for a two-year period, we had a flu epidemic around the world, and 25 million people died from that thing you couldn't see. When salt is at work, you don't see it. The image Jesus uses is an underground image. It's mostly invisible. When I was a third grader at Wild Rose Elementary School in Monrovia, California, Miss Kolb was my teacher, and she had us do this thing where we planted something in a pot. And Pastor Derry last week, I think, showed you about the styrofoam cup. And, well, I went home and I planted nasturtiums. I couldn't even spell that. I can't spell it now, but it's this vine-like, vine-like thing that grows with flowers and you know, I put it there and I watered it and I kept it on our porch in Monrovia and the sun came down and three days, nothing. Obviously nothing was happening, so I dug it up to see what was going on. Apparently, I couldn't see anything that was going on. My mom said, Dick, you're going to kill that if you don't. So I did it a couple more days, dug it up again just to check and see how it was coming. The little tiny sprout. Finally, you know, my mom convinced me, you know, you're going to kill that sucker. She didn't say that. That's what I would have said. But she, but finally it grew, but it's amazing that it grew. But it was doing all that, and I couldn't see it. The kingdom of God is like that. Mostly, you don't see the work that's going on. How about that person we pray for? We've prayed for him for years that somehow they might meet this person Jesus who could like change their whole and we don't see any movement apparently I put apparently in quotes I'd like to suggest to you this morning that the kingdom of God is mostly invisible and that he is at work in the world in ways we don't see point two the kingdom of God has a life of its own has a life of its own. It's interesting, this parable about the growing seed where he scatters it and then goes off and goes to sleep and gets up and it grows on its own. It's only recorded here in Mark's gospel and scripture scholars don't know why. But we like that it is. I'm, you know, that, but it grows on its own. The seed has life in it and it grows on its own. Life is inherent in it and it's unstoppable. Any of you who've ever seen a flower growing up through the sidewalk, how does that get through like the concrete and the stone and stuff? How does that do that? It's unstoppable. It has a life of its own. God works with me, that's true, but he also works apart from me. Those of you, you know, we've all been kids and we know that our parents do some stuff with us, but they also have all this other stuff they do for us that we don't see. God's like that. Philippians 2.13 says it this way, for it's God who works in you both to act and to will according to his 
good purpose. My friend Dick Halverson, former chaplain in the United States Senate, who's now with the Lord, one day I asked him the question, Dick, what, what makes you want to get up in the morning? That's like one of my favorite questions to ask people. What makes you want to get up in the morning? And he said, Dick, I wake up every day here in Washington, D.C., and I say, God, what is it you're doing in this town today? Can I come and do that with you? Here's the God who is at work in Fort Collins. Whether I get in on, on the action or not, that's up to me. But the fact is that he's at work and he wants me to be engaged in that. But he's not laying everything on my shoulders in terms of how he touches people's lives because he sees hearts. I, you know, I don't know what's going on in your hearts. Half the time I don't know what's going on in my heart. But the fact is that here is the God who in the seed of the kingdom, it has its own life and it's unstoppable. Third point, the kingdom of God begins tiny. The kingdom of God begins tiny. I, I was going to put start small, but we wouldn't remember start small, so I made it an awkward sounding phrase. It begins tiny and then grows exponentially. Middle East mustard. See, I, I grew up in the 50s, and that's when, that's when the girls wore necklaces that had a mustard seed in the middle. You had a, you had, it was like encased, and there was a little mustard seed. It, anybody, of course, this would tell your age, but any, anybody wear one of those mustard seed necklaces? You had, well, you know, that's regular, like old American mustard seed, but Middle East mustard seed is like fine pepper. It's like fine pepper. You can hardly, it's just little tiny grains. But when you plant it, it grows into this huge tree, 8 to 10 feet tall. You can see it there. And Jesus says, this thing you can hardly see exponentially grows into this huge thing, and the birds come and roost in its, in its branches. I have a farmer friend in East Central Illinois by the name of Lynn Warfel. I call him my gentleman farmer because he, he works by computers and GPS systems now. And he said he can harvest more in a day than his grandpa could harvest in a month. And now he, he farmed 3,500 acres when I knew him, this rich, black, fertile Illinois soil. But now he does 800 acres just by himself, essentially by himself, except one other guy during harvest. And uh, he used to come and I'd, I'd have him invite people to give in the offering every once in a while. He was a deacon in the church where we were in Urbana, Illinois, and he'd stand up. Here's this 30-year-old guy who farms, and he's got the farmer, you know, the white from here up and the dark from, you know, that whole deal. And, and he says, you know, I can take a pickup, a pickup load of corn and plant it. It's just a pickup load. And when I harvest it, it fills this whole room. That's the kingdom. It starts out real tiny. And when the harvest comes, it's this huge thing. Chuck Colson's memorial service was this Wednesday at National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. He had this little idea that if he could help prisoners, it might be a good thing. And tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people around the world over the last 34 years were impacted. And one of his friends, an ex-con who lives in Plymouth, Massachusetts, Massachusetts said at his, at his memorial service, you know, Chuck had this idea that we should have Bibles. You can't get a, a Bible in school, but he made sure every prisoner had one in jail, and it changed my life. 
almost 30 years ago when I was president of college in California, I hired a young guy by the name of Hal. Hal was a journalist, and uh, he, we had him as our PR guy, and he taught a couple of journalism classes. And one day he came to me. He's just a young guy, like in his late 20s, if I remember correct. He came to me and said, uh, Dick, I've got this, I got this idea. He said, my dad was killed when my brother and I were young, 10 and 8 or something like that. And for two or three years, our family was on welfare. And we had to go to this place to get food. And it was so humiliating. And, so, and, it, and he said, I just had this idea that I'd like to be able to help people who are, who are in dire circumstances and not have them pick up food off the back of a truck. He said, I just, I just like to have it be more friendly and more affirming and they don't have to suffer the ignominy of all of that they're going through enough stuff already and so he started helping little congregations up in the mountains and little and they called it we care and that thing grew and grew just a little idea he had and it grew and grew and uh, now we call it convoy of hope and his name is hal donaldson and they'll feed a hundred thousand hungry kids around the world this year and they're coming to fort collins on august 25th and they're going to do a day where they're helping folks from around the community in the larger northern Colorado area. And it's called Shared Hope. And there's a table in the mall. And they need volunteers to help them with that. And if you're, if you're a doctor or a nurse, particularly, we need medical personnel. But we need dozens and dozens, scores of volunteers. So I encourage you to go and sign up for that. The kingdom of God begins tiny and exponentially grows Fourthly, the kingdom of God is cause and effect. There's an MIT professor back in the 60s by the name of Dr. Norton Lorenz, Edward Norton Lorenz. He was a meteorologist and a mathematician, studied the weather. And one day he was doing an experiment and he'd gone through a whole series of mathematical equations and putting in numbers that were six or seven uh, things long, six or seven uh, decimal points, you know, Point five one two eight third and so forth and and then just to sort of speed things up when he studied it again he just rounded it off and took off three of those thousands millionths decimal you know those things took those off and it changed the whole structure of his equation just taking off those little tiny thing changed everything and that that came to be known as the butterfly effect the butterfly effect is the ability of minuscule changes in initial conditions such as the flap of a, of a butterfly's wings to have far-reaching large-scale effects on the development of the system such as the course of weather a continent away and they called it the butterfly effect because his thesis was a butterfly flapping its wings in Latin America could cause a hurricane someplace else in the Caribbean not directly not straight on but you have a butterfly flapping its wings causing a hurricane someplace else because one of the initial conditions was changed just a little bit. It's not a direct thing. We tried it directly and it looked like this. This is what it looks like. It happens, happens directly. So when you see a butterfly, don't head for a shelter because you think there's going to be a tornado. But, they, but the point is that when you change just a little condition, think of it. Think of the person in your life who just happened to mention something to you and it changed the trajectory of your life. The woman who, when I was in grad school, the teacher who gave me $100 to take Ruth to a conference, that $100 changed the trajectory of our whole lives. We had no idea in 1964 that it would do that, but it did. 
Andy Andrews tells the story of Colonel Joshua Chamberlain at Gettysburg. Joshua Chamberlain was a professor of rhetoric and um, language and literature at Bowdoin College in Maine, 34 years old. He went and signed up, and since he was the first guy in the door, they made him the colonel of the company or regiment or whatever it was. And he, start, he headed the 20th Maine. Six months after he started heading the 20th Maine, he found himself in a Pennsylvania town called Gettysburg, little farm community. And the Union soldiers were there. This was the pivotal battle of the Civil War. Union soldiers were there with 80,000 troops starting in the town of Gettysburg, spreading south to a little hill called Little Round Top. And the 300 Bowdoin Maine soldiers, volunteers, were facing the 15th and 47 Alabama regulars. And they were the last 300 men in the line, in this 80,000-man line. And the command was, you hold this hill. If you don't hold this hill, they can get around you and come in from behind us, and they will beat us. And if they could beat them, the Confederates would march into Washington, D.C., and it would be a very different world, was the thought. Three-quarters of the way up the hill, on a July afternoon in 1863, they built a low stone wall, and the 300 men were waiting for all comers. The first charge came at 2.30. They repelled it. The second charge came. They repelled it. Took wounded, killed, numbers of guys down. Third time, repelled it. So they had been attacked four times. In that fourth one, he, he took a bullet dead center in his belt buckle. Joshua Chamberlain then knocked him down. He was unhurt. He got up. They had 80 men left out of 300. 12-year-old kid who'd been traveling with him skinnied up a, shinnied up a poplar tree and said, they're, they're reinforcing, they're coming again, here they come. And he said, go and get ammo from the dead and the wounded. And the sergeant said, we did that last time, sir, we have no ammunition. He said, then we're going to execute the great wheel. And somebody said, what's that, what's a great wheel? He said, that's a bayonet charge. He said, fix bayonets. And you could hear the steel on steel as they rammed the bayonets into the end of their rifles. And then this 34-year-old literature professor jumped up on the wall as the Alabama regulars started up the hill and said, Charge! And 80 men came over the wall screaming, coming down on the other guys. And the Alabama regulars thought there were a lot more because they were, this is crazy. Why would they do this? And they dropped their weapons and ran. And 80 men captured 400 Alabama men that day. Historians said, say that if it had been the other way, if they had won, coming the other direction, that the history of the world would have been changed. You say, yeah, well, there would have been two countries, the North and the South, and they say, no, there would have been nine to 13 countries. And when Hitler invaded Poland and Czechoslovakia 100 years later, there would be no United States of America to blunt that charge. And when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941, there would have been no ability to wage a war on two fronts. The total world would have been changed if Joshua Chamberlain, a 34-year-old guy, had not jumped up on a wall and said, we're going to take this, we're going to stay here, we're going to do whatever it takes. The flap of a butterfly's wing changes everything down the road. The kingdom of God is mostly invisible. Now you don't see it, now you do. Starts out tiny, and all of a sudden it's this huge thing. 
It's this, it's this thing that has a life of its own that's churning and growing even when we don't see it or can't control it. A small thing happens and the impact over the years is hard to believe. A tiny baby is born in a Palestinian village to a teen mom and we call him Jesus of Nazareth and 2,000 years later, 2.1 billion people on planet Earth call his name. I want to close with two things this morning. Understanding that the kingdom of God is this little tiny thing that has a life of its own. But when it gets lodged in your heart, unbelievable things can happen. Because it's so different than anything else I've known. When we say how great thou art, these people aren't just whistling a tune up here. It's the real deal. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? My first question is this. You may be here and you've prayed for someone for years. In our team meeting last night preparing for the service, I said I was going to make this point and one of the team members, pastoral media team, one of the team members said, my mother prayed for me for 13 years before anything changed in my life. But you're here this morning and you've prayed for someone for a long time. You love them, they're in your heart and you don't see any movement, and you're so frustrated by it. And I'm just here to say that the kingdom of God is a tiny thing that's mostly invisible, but don't stop praying. And if you'd say, Pastor Dick, I'd like you to just include me in your prayer when you close this morning. You just slip your hand up and say, I've got somebody like that in my life all across the sanctuary. Lots of folks. It's great. You can put your hand down. There may be some here this morning who say, you know, I'm listening to you and I have, the, I have a sense that I'd like to believe you. I'd like to believe that this kingdom, this Jesus could change my life, but I'm drawn to it. I have this sort of stirring in my heart. Maybe that's the flap of the wings of the Holy Spirit. And by slipping up your hand this morning, you say, I'd like this to be the butterfly effect. I'd like this to be the start of something huge in my life as I follow Jesus. You just slip your hand up and say, would you pray for me as you close? You'll just, just raise your hand. Yes. You'll just slip your hand up just where I can see it. Yes, sir. Yes. Yep. Yes. I see it. You can put your hand down. Yes. You can put your hand down. Thanks. Father, here we are. You know us like the back of your hand. There's nothing about us you don't know. And the good news is you still want us. You still want us to live at your house forever. So we submit ourselves to you this morning for these friends who have prayed for folks they love for a long time, maybe a year, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years. And sometimes they get discouraged or frustrated because they don't see movement. Help us to not give up because we don't see movement. By your Spirit, strengthen us to do that. I pray that you will give a special anointing, a special blessing on these friends to maintain their vigil and pray into that situation. For other friends who have raised their hands and said, I feel the stirrings in my own heart, in my own spirit, some for the very first time, 
For those who for the very first time are sensing that stirring and they, and they want to say, I, I want to know this kingdom. I want to know this king, this Jesus person. Even as they sit here and they say in their hearts, I want to give my life to you. I want you to change me. Take, take this small thing and make it something huge in my life so that I can know what it's like to have life overwhelming and full and abundant that my sins can be forgiven and that my heart can be new and that, can I, that I can have a new life ahead of me thank you for these, these commitments these acknowledgments today in Jesus name we pray and everyone said amen if you have never said you know I'd, I'd like to check this Jesus person out I'd I want, a, I, I want what you talked about this morning. We have a little packet for you that's on either side of the platform in the stairwells and also at guest services. And on your way out, if you'd like to pick this up, it'd be a help. This is like, if the seed's there, this is like um, water and heat, okay? Nutrition and light and heat to grow that seed. Our prayer team is coming this morning. Some of you have needs that you say, I'd just like someone to pray with me. And they'll be down here at the front as they come even now to just meet with you. Just take a minute or two and just let them pray for that particular need. So now we're going to go. And uh, here's the good word for the week. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you without fault before his glorious presence. He's the one who sends you out. You are not an accident. Wherever you are this week is no accident because Jesus is with you. So go in his grace. And the service begins. God bless you.